Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation, followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Rob. And I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in just a moment, so please take that moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. The coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting so as to minimize distractions. Also, if you could please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Let's take this time to get reconnected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away, asking God to help us stay focused on the step study. So... Let's grab a, a meditation cookie and get these. We got one. We got a one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we got some we folks come, sp- coming up the stairs into the room. So sp- give them just a second. Then we're going to bring the lights down bring the monks in and get this meditation started. I didn't know we had special cookies tonight. They're not that special. You don't have to change your sobriety date or anything. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. We got, we got one more. Two more. Three. All right. It's a party. All right, come on in, guys. Welcome. All right, we'll see you in three minutes.
for the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, just mumble along after us. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. All right, and we have our secretary's report and our secretary's Tanisha. Help us welcome her. She's got wicked boots on today. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey, Tanisha. In keeping with the seven tradition, which states every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Jesse to read the recovered statement. We read this. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hello, I'm Jesse, alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. The presence that presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Jesse. 1940-style Big Book Sponsorship, from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. 
Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time. And neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. If you don't carry cash, we also have what is called a square. Um, we're able to swipe along with PayPal, Venmo, and Zelle. Zelle. <laughs> Mike will be more than gladly to assist you with your card transactions. Here at Alcoholics and God, we meet every Monday promptly at 7.15. Some of us get here at 5.30 to help set up. That's called service. And... <laughs> Sorry, serious, <laughs> serious. And um, some of us show up at 6.32 to get to know each other. It's called fellowship. And we ask you might, that you be courteous and ready to begin at the road to recovery tune. See you next week. Alcoholics Anonymous. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And on the topic of anonymity, this meeting is podcast on the Internet. So if you don't want your voice on the Internet and listened to by someone out there in the ether, then just disguise your voice and, or pass the microphone when the time comes for Q&A. Awesome. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the very first time? All right. Welcome. So can we have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Awesome. So if, if your hand's not up right now, find one of these people with their hands up and they can show you how to do this thing we do and get free of this. For good and all. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Does anyone need a big book? Can anyone sneak by the big book police on their way in? We are good. Awesome. Uh, before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed tradition that's seven. This week we'll begin, uh, on, we'll review tradition eight. Please refer in the unabridged book, that's this, the fatty on page 562, or in the abridged, a little skinny guy, 177. And here to share his experience is Mr. John. Give him a hand. Thank you, Robert. Uh, I'm John, I'm your, I'm your uh, recovered alcoholic traditionist. Um, today we are in tradition eight. Um, I'm going to read it's on page 178 of the skinny book and, um, I don't know what it is on the big book, but yeah. 
Um, eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Um, and the long form is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fee or hire. But we may employ alcoholics where they are going to perform those services for which we might otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics. Such special services may be well recomp recompensed, but our usual AA 12-step work is never to be paid for. Um, I was looking for something to read tonight on Tradition 8, um, and I stumbled upon a Grapevine article from 1948 written by Bill Wilson, um, and it's specifically on Tradition 8. And it says, um, throughout the world, AAs are 12-stepping thousands of new prospects a month. Between one of 2,000 of these stick on our first presentation, past experience shows that, the most, that most of the remainder will come back to us later on. Almost entirely unorganized and completely nonprofessional, this mighty spiritual current is now flowing from alcoholics who are well to those who are sick. One alcoholic talking to another. That's it. Could this vast and vital face-to-face -face effort be professionalized or even organized? Most emphatically, it could not. The few efforts of professionalized straight 12-step work have always failed quickly. Today, no AA will tolerate the idea of paid AA therapists or organizers, nor does, AA, nor does any AA like to be told just how he must handle that new prospect of his. No, this great life-giving stream can never be damned, by up, by, damned up by paid do-gooders or professionals. Alcoholics Anonymous is never going to cut its own lifelines. To a man, we are sure of that. Bill W. Thank you, guys. As we studied the big book, we used the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. It's this book here. Awesome. Tonight we are going to begin on the study on page five, which will be read uh, from the front by tonight's reader, Mr. Ron. Captain Ron. Where'd you come from? All right. <laughs> Hiding behind the piano. Uh, so after the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium, starting back at the top of what will actually be the bottom mid of page five. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is we're going to read the material once through, then re-dissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question and then rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have questions, uh, if you have spiritual experience with this information, free, feel free to share. If not, you can ask questions. Awesome. However, Big Book Study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different setting, like sponsor or before or after the meeting, uh, please do not be offended when Alan cuts that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go ruthless. wrong. Yeah, thanks, Alan. <laughs> you can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol, through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps, is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. How did we get here tonight? Did we just pick this at random, page five? <laughs> we, we sure didn't. Um, 
Who here has been with us from week one, from the very beginning of starting this big book journey, this journey through? And if you guys don't know, the big book is an affectionate name that we have for the book Alcoholics Anonymous, engraved here on this cover. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the book we started reading, what was it, 12 weeks ago, 13 weeks ago? And some of the people have been here all 13 weeks. So we started in the preface, and it's, okay, nine, maybe? I'm exact, that was a little bit of alcoholic exaggeration. I like to round up. <laughs> I rounded way up there. Yeah, that, nice. that's called a baker's dozen. Um, we, we started in the preface in the forwards. It talks about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I'm going to be going to these meetings, I should have some idea of what I'm getting myself into, right? I don't want to just sign up for something for life maybe and not know what it is. So we talk about, um, how it was founded, how it came about in the 1930s. And these people that discovered this secret mystical spiritual solution to the disease of alcoholism. Awesome. And then, uh, we get into the doctor's opinion, which was, uh, uh, based on the experience of Dr. William D. Silkworth, who worked in Towns Hospital in uh, the 30s, who's a renowned um, doctor in the field of alcohol and drug addiction rehabilitation. And he got to witness the uh, birth of the fellowship and, and crazy chronic alcoholics that he never thought would ever recover, uh, actually come into a new relationship with God and recover and then help other alkies. And he, he identified that uh, he thought the the disease was threefold, you know, spiritual, physical, and mental. And, uh, you know, he's the one that relayed to us that, that we have this allergy. The real alcoholic has this phenomenon of craving, this physical allergy that once we put alcohol in our body, we get really, really thirsty. So he was a very uh, important figure in our early days, and, and we explored uh, his experience in doctor's opinion. Mm-hmm. And then after the doctor's opinion, we started off with Bill's story. Bill's story is kind of like a, a speaker meeting in a book, right? This whole chapter just talks about what the disease looks like in a human being. And we've gotten to page five. So we've started off with Bill Wilson going off to war uh, and then coming back and thinking that, you know, his talent for leadership would place him at the head of vast enterprises, mm. which he would manage with the utmost assurance. Like he was very grandiose and he, he really got somewhere in life and then he started to drink because as rob stated when we start to drink the doctor's opinion tells us when i start to drink i want more to drink i get thirsty and so we start to see that with bill wilson and we start to even tiptoe along the line maybe even cross over that line into full-blown alcoholism so we're going to see where our story leads us tonight and let's tee up on the mid of page four bottom of page four where it says we went to live with my wife's parents so it's at the bottom of page four here in bill's story we want to live with my wife's parents, Ron, we, you, yeah. which means like things aren't going well already because, uh, yeah, that would never happen uh, for me now today in normal life. That would be a bottom. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> Pick us up. All right. I'm Ron. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ron. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, 
and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy, I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day, I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me that the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that, so two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. For mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill, bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The, the curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. All right, and that's where we're going to stop, and we'll start our study back on page 5. 
we'll do the question and answer from page five, where it says, I woke up, this had to be stopped. So, Rob, are you going to run, I guess? Sure. Okay, sounds good. Okay, sounds good. (coughs) All right. (laughs) As the result of this episode, what did Bill come to realize? And it's, uh, I woke up. Four sentences, please. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could, no, I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. We got a two-part question. What had he done prior to this time, and was Bill really serious this time? Two sentences. Before then, I had lit, written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. And we got a note here. Have you... Have you have you been really serious about staying stopped? And we're doing uh, Q&A in this format, so that's that paragraph. Does anyone have experience with that paragraph we just did question and answer on? Anyone want to share Tanisha on that? Tanisha, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Tanisha. I wrote letters from Jill, and I mailed them out promising that when I get out, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to go to those places anymore. I'm not, And I did. I honestly, I swore... I. I meant it in each and every one of those letters to all my family members that I hurt. Trying to make amends, right? (laughs) But I had no program. I had nothing to fall back on. I had no home group, (laughs) you know, nothing to keep me afloat. Um, I just, you know, I had the desire to do better, but I didn't have the solution that I have today. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. All right, anyone else got anything on that paragraph from Bill's story? Anyone made lots of sweet promises? I know I made I had some sweet promises. Okay. Just made to myself, and, and I know I've, I've shared this before, but there was a time in my early 20s and early drinking, for that matter, that I you know, saw that alcohol might be a problem for me and uh, you know, said that I'm going to go 30 days without doing it. You know, I got to like day... 20 and was given a trivial excuse and there I was again um and I was like yeah you're right that's dumb why would I stop altogether and then it was you know never a period of sobriety like that again uh until I actually got sober and it's funny because I'm uh, I've got a a good friend of mine like one of the few friends that I still talk to that I've known for a very long time because most of my friends before I got sober kind of disappeared when I got sober and then I realized that's all we had in common is that we just got trashed and used each other. Um, but uh, it, it's funny because he knows that I'm sober in the program. And, uh, you know, he is wondering if he might be one of us, right? And, and this has been, you know, years of, you know, me being sober and him, like, bringing it up again and bringing it up again. And, you know, being the attraction rather than promotion and just let him, let him have his own journey and be there. And, and it's funny because, you know, we'll, we'll do, like, all sorts of things not to come to AA, Right. Um, I know I did. And, you know, he's doing his thing. And like recently he's like, no, no, I'm not drinking. I I found this subreddit. Right. And everybody know what Reddit is. There's probably at least a few people. He's like, I found this subreddit called not drinking. And he's like, I've been on there. I've been on there and I'm reading it. And he's like, I'm reading people's story. And he's kind of getting like an online fellowship kind of deal going on, Um, which if you're the real alcoholic, it's probably not going to keep you sober. But I'm like, hey, man, do your thing. And, and he's like, you know, but I read this one thing that really stuck with me. He said, you know, and we, we hear it in here all the time. So I'm like, yeah, um, you know, one drinks um, too many. And, you know, after that, it's never enough. Right. And uh, I'm like, yeah, well, if you're relating to that, you know, 
It's a good chance he, you could come join us here. But, you know, he, he's getting some of this self-knowledge through talking to me and making sweet promises. And then, like, you know, he was, I think he might have made it to 30 days. But, and he's like, no, I'm just sticking with it, you know. I don't miss the hangovers, blah, blah, blah. And then he calls me up the other day. He's like, oh, the work trip got me. He's like, it always well, does. Yeah, so, self-knowledge availed me nothing. So that, there you went. We, we got a couple of hands. Cool. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Ryan, um, I, I feel like I've made a lot of those promises, but uh, a time that really stands out for me is I remember the first time I went into treatment, um, and I was in the back seat of my mom's car, and she had picked me up um, on the side of the road on the side of a road up in Philadelphia, and I was pretty much just like homeless for about like three or four weeks. Um, and I remember sitting in the back of her car, and I was. I hadn't slept in days, and I was—I mean, I was jittery, and it was—it was bad. And I just remember sitting there, like crying and being like, like talking to her, and like she was crying, and I was like, you know, like I don't want to die, and like, and I was telling her that like, like, if I could go to treatment, like, then I would—I would do what I had to do, because um, I didn't want to live like that anymore. And you know, like, even though like, I mean, it didn't last. I, I went to treatment, and like that just didn't work out for me the way. That I had planned on, but I don't think that I didn't mean it. You know, I think that at the time that I was telling her that, like, in my heart, I think I meant it. Um, but then it just makes me think of what we read on page 24 about the untreated fact box, about, like, you know, like, a couple weeks later, no, that, none of that came to my mind. You know, like, none of those promises that I had made, they didn't mean anything to me at that point. You know, I, I, was, I got a little... Um, clarity, I got a little sleep, and, you know, I was good to go. I had it from there. Um, so it, like, it blotted out all of the, the misery and the suffering of a week or even a month ago, you know? Like, it was just gone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely remember making those promises to people, and I definitely remember times when I really felt like I meant them, but I just, without this program, it didn't mean anything. So that's all I got. Thanks for sharing. We got a Barry over there. How are you, Barry? Hey, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. Hey, Barry. Promises. Um, yeah, I mean, thinking back to everything that got me to this point in my life, um, I, I got a DUI in my dad's car and had to be bailed out of jail. By. My dad's an intimidating guy, and that was not fun. But somehow I was able to make you know, verbal promises and convince him and my non-alcoholic friends and my non-alcoholic, you know, employers and bosses and everything that I was going to be okay. And then I thought to myself, you know, maybe I should go into sales because I know that that is bullshit. And uh, in the back of my mind, I knew that everything coming out of my mouth was just, it was lip service. And I didn't know that there was a solution. So, you know, in being introduced to the therapeutic side of things and learning about some of the underlying issues is, is vital if they're there in order to combat them. But it's not what is working for me now. You know, I, I tried the, you know, don't drink and go to meetings or, you know, meeting a day. And, you know, all that, all that stuff is, is good. But uh, it wasn't what finally made sense. And, you know, I learned through this that, you know, as an alcoholic, I, I in reality, can never promise that I'll never drink again. You know, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, that's part of the, the acceptance of the steps that was, that was tough to learn. But once, you know, it stuck, it stuck. And if 
finding the solution that I found, you know, being involved with this home group and, and everybody here is, is something that keeps me going. And the relationship that I found with, uh, with the higher power of my own understanding is what, uh, what has got me here. So, I don't know, we weren't together on Thursday, but I missed you all. It's good to see you. Thanks for sharing. Anyone have anything else on this paragraph before we move on? All right, so we're back into the Q&A, and we're on the next paragraph. How well did Bill manage his decision? So this is a four-sentence answer. How well did he manage his decision? Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. Note, how well did you manage your decision? Did he make a conscious decision to take the drink? It hadn't even come to mind. Note, have you ever found yourself drunk and couldn't remember taking the first drink? <laughs> Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Oh, well, that, okay. That, that's okay, actually. I think, we're, I think we're queued up right. What did his appalling lack of perspective make him wonder? Was I crazy? And that's the rest of the paragraph, if you would read on, please. Was I crazy? I began to wonder. For such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. All when right. You- so this page is now open for comment. We got a Mike Chase in the back there. Hey, recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Hey, Mike Chase. I think it's important to remember that the part that we're reading in Bill's story is a rehashing of everything we've read already, but put into life for Bill's story. So I think it's important to like stay focused on the Bill story and what we've read previous to this. The doctor's opinion slowly introduced us to a solution, and then introduce us to the problem, which is this phenomenal craving, which we call the phenomenon of craving, which alcoholics have that nobody else has, that no matter how hard we try, once we start drinking, we can't stop, which we, after we trigger that a few times, then we start to get this mental obsession, which is the, the truth of the matter that we shouldn't drink is not strong enough to prevent us from coming up with a loophole to come up with one drink, maybe two drinks, and that's all I'm going to have, but hence I trigger that darn phenomenon of craving again, and I can't stop. And we've seen this finally coming to play in Bill's story. This is the first time in Bill's story where he really put his foot down, stood up, and screamed, I'm not drinking anymore, golly gee. And this is the first time where we see an actual failure. Up to this point, it was Bill just sort of maybe you know, trying to control a little bit or maybe try not to get caught. And, and this is the first time that Bill's actually direct result of only his own behavior. He cannot control his drinking. Before this, he has blamed it on the crash, the I need to drink to make money in my business, all those external reasons for drink. This is the first time where we actually start to explore the physical aspect of alcoholism, also by the mental. So I've got off to the side here. He has lost all power of choice. Bill's not going to decide anymore. His brain is so gone beyond repair that Bill is just going to find a loophole to eventually drink. Or in my case, was like not get caught drinking. But I'm only going to have one or two. But that physical allergy is there, so he starts drinking incredibly. Was I crazy? I began to wonder for such an appalling allowing uh, such an appalling lack of perspective scene during just that. I'm going to cheat and bring up what. Yeah, I'm going ahead, <laughs> Ryan. Mention this, but I'm going to tell, tell. The fact is that for most untreated alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. 
we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. That explains why Bill can no longer control his drinking or cannot prevent himself from drinking. It's important to remember that when we're in Bill's story, let's stick to what got us here. They focused on the information that we're getting out of the book. It's funny. I've been around these rooms on and off, you know, 30 years. And it's always easy to tell who's not going to make it. That when we're actually talking about the important stuff, they, they leave the room or they fall asleep or they start talking to the people next to them. This is the stuff that Bill W. did not have. There was no boring AA meetings to go to. There's no crummy rehabs to hang out in. There's not annoying sponsors. It's just this, I'll do better next time. Hence, psych wards, jails, and death. Well, we have a solution that's 100% guaranteed if you follow it to your greatest ability. So... Hopefully we can get people excited about this because Bill's story is still going to be circling the drain for a while, but I think there's a good ending. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We got a, a hand. Hello. Sure. I'm Malik. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Malik. Malik. Um, I just wanted to say, like, I related to the part where the sweet promises and everything to the point where I just don't even feel, like, comfortable uh, telling whoever it is that's asking me to just stop. Like, I can't even tell them that I'm going to stop no more. I just don't even feel, like, comfortable saying that. And I don't know. I'm kind of new to Florida, and I would need a phone list if that's possible. Um, So if we could get one going around for me, I'd appreciate it. Thank you for letting me share. You got it, Malik. So, yeah, let's let's meet him up here up front after the meeting. And uh, speaking, of, speaking of sweet promises, I remember in 2006, I got arrested um, for stealing from a church. And I was involved in martial arts at the time. I had a tournament the next week, and I was listening to Eye of the Tiger from the movie Rocky. And I was, like, fired up. I'm like, I'm not drinking. I'm not going to drink this whole week. And I was like, yeah. You know, I, was prom- I kind of, like, pledged to myself, I'm going to take this seriously this time, turn my life around. And this is about 10 years before I actually got sober. I got way worse before I got better. And, and I want to refer back to the part in Bill's story where he says, was I crazy? I began to wonder. And was such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near to being just that. It says elsewhere in the book that there's a complete failure of the type of defense that keeps me from placing my hand on a hot stove, right? And Joe and Charlie talk about this. If I burn myself on a hot stove as a kid, I don't burn myself again because I remember that it's hot. With alcohol, it's burned me a hundred times and I don't have that kind of mental defense. And also in was I crazy? Page 37, we got the definition of insanity as well. In addition to page 24, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? So it's a lack of proportion. It's a lack of the ability to think straight. Big things seem little, little things seem big. And Bill was wondering if he's crazy. And yep, he is. That's called alcoholic insanity. And then I got a case of it myself. So we... uh, we, should we move on with the questions and answers? Does anybody else have anything on this paragraph? I just wanted to, I love this part here. For me, it, it's, it's funny because it, I don't know if anyone can relate to like, as the disease progresses, like gradually lowering your standards lower and lower and then like getting comfortable at each level, you know, and then like it goes a little bit lower and then you get comfortable there and it gets a little bit lower. And it's like, and, and you're talking about like the lack of perspective, like, the, you know, the, the previous two pages leading up to five, it's like Bill loses all of his money, uh, goes and moves to Canada. Sounds like a good idea. He's living with his buddy, with his wife. 
Uh, my wife would not be down for that. Um, gets a job, loses it after fighting a taxi driver. Um, then, uh, you know, moves in with the parents. No, no, he moves in with the, the parents first. And then he loses the job as a result of a fight with the taxi driver. Like, not only is it bad enough that I'm living with the in-laws, but like, hey, mom, I just lost a job. I can't provide for your daughter because I fought a taxi driver. And then it's like, I'm unemployed and drunk for another five years. And then he's, you know, going through all this stuff and, and his drinking progressing. And then he's like, gradually things got worse. It's like, Bill, where you at, brother? It's been getting worse for a while. Yeah, like, yeah it reminds me of the saying, yeah, my rock bottom, uh, rock bottom has a trap door, right? But, oh. okay. So uh, next paragraph, what was his next decision? Renewing my resolve, I tried again. New, sometime <clears throat> passed, and the and confidence began to be replaced by cocksuredness. And I, okay, what what happened to Bill when he became confident? Three sentences. Sometime passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksuredness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. Why did Bill enter the cafe? One day I walked into the cafe to telephone. To telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. Was he conscious of taking the first drink? As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone... <laughs> Yeah, as he felt the effect of the whiskey, what did he tell himself? As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. Next paragraph, and this paragraph is open for comment, if anyone's got experience with it. And I just want to say, I heard somebody saying, oh, we got John. All right, John, what's going on? Thank you, Chris. Uh, John, recovered alcoholic. Hey, John. Um, yeah, I, I had, like, brief periods of, like, abstinence. I wouldn't even call it sobriety. And, um, during those brief periods, I would, like, hang out with my friends that, like, still smoked and drank and, and did everything else. And I would, like, laugh at them and I'd be like, yo, like, you can just stop. Like, it's okay. And, uh, until that one day, I would get, I would get, like, 30, 40, 50 days together and, like, struggling, struggling to get those days together. And it was just, like... It was crazy because I thought that I was like, okay, I beat this stuff. Like, I'm good. Like, now I can take a drink and, like, it'll go away. Like, I just, I'll be okay. But, no. Um, I'd say, I was like, okay, now I can go to the club, drink a beer. Five hours later, it's, like, four in the morning, and I'm, like, drinking and using other stuff. And it's, like, walking to the bathroom that I do. Sorry for the language. But, but, um, but yeah, it was, like, I, every time, bro, I would just always... I would realize it after, like, damn, like, what did I do? Like, yeah, so that's my experience with it. Mm. And thank God for AA because this works. Thanks for sharing. It says in the previous chapter in the doctor's opinion that I'm restless, irritable, and discontented on page XXIV. I'm restless, irritable, and discontented unless I can again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a couple drinks, drinks that I see others taking with impunity. And that's like... 
that feeling of becoming sane and kind of coming to after I've drank. Like I'm restless, irritable, discontent. I can't breathe. I can't think. Now I have a couple drinks and now, how'd I get drunk? What happened? And it's like, well, that's part of, you know, coming to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. This is all, all this material is about steps one and two. And Bill's story is going to even go beyond steps one and two. And, and does anybody, anyone have anything else on this paragraph before we move on to the next paragraph? All right, so we're back to the Q&A. Q&A away. How did he feel the next morning? The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning were unforgettable. Note, have you ever felt this way the next morning? Was he able to fight? The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. All right, then you answered the next question, which is, what was his brain doing? And note, have you ever experienced this? Why was he afraid to cross the street? I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. What did it take to still his nerves? Two sentences. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. And let's see, is that the is that the end of the paragraph? No, okay. All right, so what did Bill realize when he heard of another market crash? Four sentences. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should Note. I Note, have you ever had such a hard thought? For a brief spell, what did Bill consider doing? Two sentences. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Note, during your drinking, did this thought pass through your mind? What did Bill do to quiet the thought? Three sentences. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. Note, have you ever sought oblivion as Bill did? And, and we're on, to, the, we're on to, to comment. The page is open for, for comment. Right. Oblivion. That's the sickest reason of all, right? We drink, he drank for escape, and now, now he's drinking for complete oblivion. We got a mic. Yeah. If I go out on purpose, it's even worse. I hate the double dip, but uh, this paragraph, there's just so much great stuff in here. Uh, when I'm working with somebody, this is where we start to uh, qualify them, see where they are in their alcoholic progression, to see whether they relate to this or they start looking like, mm, this doesn't, I don't get this. Um, this is Bill's first emotional bottom. As we've learned to this point, Bill's physical bottoms really didn't bother him much. It was just, he just drank through. Um, but this is the emotional one that really started to rip him apart. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there's a, a terrible sense of impending calamity. I can close my eyes and go back to that last weekend and the weekend before and the weekend before, and this is exactly where I was coming. When I started to get a little bit sober and I started, or I started to like come out of the fog and I wake up and feeling this way. And if I'm working with somebody and, and they're looking at me like, 
it's not related. I don't get this, you know. Um, I start to realize that perhaps they're not a real alcoholic or perhaps they just haven't reached a point where uh, they're actually willing to do something about this because we don't come in here to do this unless we have to. An old night place supplied with a dozen glasses of ale. This is a guy that is locked in the perpetual phenomenon of craving. This is a guy who never really gets out of being drunk. He's continually living, lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, anything he can to keep this thing going. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard, that was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No. Not now. If we go back two pages, he talks about the papers reported men jumping from death from the powers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. This is the first time where Bill has left open the concept of like, I could possibly kill myself because this is just the misery of not being able to stop. When I came to Monday, the 24th of July, and I realized that I was going to be that repetitive white chipper that never going to get sober. I thought I was in that cycle of just drinking myself to death. That's exactly where I was. But that also was the gift that allowed me to go to my home group that night and really reach out, sincerely get help, and get the right people into my life to get sober. I never would have done that if I hadn't had that emotional bottom. It wasn't the consequences that really got me so got me sober. It was the fact that I just wanted to die inside that pushed me to the point where I'd willing to do anything to change. So, yeah, this paragraph's amazing. I wasn't drinking for fun anymore. I was drinking just to end the pain, oblivion. You know, get a cup, go get a bottle of tequila and some baggies of fun. <laughs> and it wasn't to like sit around. I had stopped rewiring the sound system. I'd stopped playing video games. I would just drink myself to oblivion and just bumble or stumble around the house. It was pathetic. So, thank God they can put this stuff on paper so we can see what it was like to remind me even today, you know, so many years later. So thanks. Good paragraph. Thanks for sharing. We got another hand up here. Uh, my name is Blake, alcoholic. Hey, Blake. Um, I, I just wanted to say, like, I, also, I live in Sunrise, and I should have asked for a number list, too, but I, I live with Malik at the moment, so if you guys don't mind, I'll just get the numbers from him because... Uh, I love I love Las Olas, so I'll, I'll be coming here once I am able. That's all. Great, thanks, man. Um, so I'm Matt. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Matt. Uh, it's funny because I don't remember <laughs> ever being not like so selfish and self-absorbed to actually feel remorseful <laughs> or horrified or hopeless upon like waking up. Um, frankly, I don't really remember a time where I wasn't. I mean, man, like I was in a blackout forever <laughs> like it would like i would wake up and be either drunk or high within like minutes of i don't know, even opening my eyes i don't think i got out of bed <laughs> before um you know taking a drink but to kind of piggyback off of what mike had said you know i frequently had that should i kill myself uh energy you know when i was when i was drinking and i think a lot of that <sighs> Like, it wasn't only the thought, it was also, like, you know, acting on it. But that thought always came when it was like, is this, is this my life? Like, am I going to continue to do this every day? Um, like, is, is it worth the fight? I don't remember where it is in the book. I think it's back. Um, it's in the doctor's opinion, I think. 
but it says like there's so many circumstances that it, uh, that basically push men to make the uh, supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And when I first read that, you know, I was convinced that that meant <laughs> like people commit suicide <laughs> before they quit drinking. Like that's like the move. And I think at least my experience now has been to show me like, okay, like, you know, there is a solution to this whole, you know, thing we do. That's all I got. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I mean, this was, alcohol was the solution to all my problems. And, and Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob's Nightmare is going to see the panacea for all life's ills, like the cure-all. And then it's starting to stop working for Bill. He's starting to get to the point where the old fierce determination to win isn't coming back when he drinks. He's starting to think about killing himself even when he's drinking and drinking for oblivion. It's a, it's a hell of a place to be. I, I know I've uh, experienced a, a piece of that hell myself. Does anyone have anything else on this paragraph? I've always related so much to that paragraph. And, and the next one, too, on the next page, no words can tell the loneliness and despair, the quicksand stretching out in all directions. He says it multiple times throughout the book, these two pages and then the four horsemen in, uh, um, in the very end here. We're talking about fear, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. You know, I woke up with that stuff on me all the time. It would be even worse when I would, you know, start with that one drink, like not remembering uh, that I took that one drink and then wake up and that panic that hits you when it's like, what day is it? What time is it? And I'm like, I'm supposed to be working, right? And I've always had these like uh, jobs where I didn't have a direct supervisor, but I would manage a team of people remotely. And uh, I, you know, it's a work day. And I'm like three hours into it already, and I had meetings planned at the start of it, and now I got to like figure out how many missed calls I have and all these people. I got to make up some lies on what happened and call this person, say I was over there, call this person, say I was over there, my cell phone wasn't working. It was just like intensified that even more, and it's like I did that all the time. You know, that, that feeling was, was always there, and then that just intensified it. It's like, oh, great. We get to play this game again today and then repeat the cycle Ad infinitum. Mm. So should we go on with the Q&A? How much longer did Bill suffer the agony of alcoholism? And that's going to be the mind and body are marvelous. The mind and body. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mind endured this agony two more years. Did Bill steal money to drink? Sometimes I stole my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and the madness were on me. Note, have you ever stolen money to buy alcohol? Did Bill consider suicide? Again, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet <clears throat> where the poison was, cursing myself for a weakling. Note, have you ever considered suicide? Did Bill go from one place to another, hoping? There were flights from the city to, to country and back, as my wife and I sought escape. No, did you ever believe, believe you would be better off some other place, like treatment in Florida? Did Bill come to fear for his life? Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Note, have you ever experienced such desperation? What did a doctor bring Bill? 
Somehow I managed to drag my matters to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leaped. Okay. I'm a gonna... doctor came with a heavy sedative. Note, have doctors ever had to prescribe sedatives for you? What was Bill doing the next day? Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. Note, have you ever drank and taken sedatives? What did they do for Bill? What did they do for Bill? I just lost it. I can't walk and read. Uh, so, yeah, that's okay. This combination. And we're going to start back with Ryan, who knows where we are. <laughs> this combination soon landed me on the rocks. What did they do for Bill? People feared for my sanity. Oh, sorry, that was, uh, what, did, what did the concern for, what was the concern for and of Bill? Two sentences. And that was, yeah. People feared for my sanity, so did I. Note, have folks ever feared for your sanity? Have you ever feared for your sanity? Had Bill's alcoholism progressed to where he could no longer tolerate food? I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Note, has your alcoholism progressed to where you could not eat? Comment, Bill being 40 pounds underweight indicates he was suffering from malnutrition and in a very serious state of deteriorating health. He was literally dying at this point. That's the comment at the end of that paragraph. Anyone have anything before we move on with Q&A? I am Jesse Alcoholic. Hey, Jesse. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, the part, um, you know, when I was uh, drinking and uh, doing dry alcohol, um, <clears throat> you know, I didn't take care of myself. Um, and, uh, you know, I was underweight and uh, just didn't care. I mean, and today, you know, I'm uh, <clears throat> able to have that confidence about myself um, through a lot of work in the program and other stuff. So... I just wanted to uh, note on that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. We got a hand. Thank you, Chris. My name is John, recovered alcoholic. Hey, John. Um, this whole paragraph kind of took me back to the last days that I was using and drinking. And um, uh, I, I got to the point where I was at. I literally asked God to kill me or make me better. I had gotten over a binge, and I was just like, I can't keep going like this. And uh, I got I got on my knees crying because I couldn't I didn't have the balls to kill myself, and um, and I just I was just crying, and I just couldn't stop crying. I got on my knees, and I was like, God, you either kill me or you make me fucking better, just like that. That's exactly how I said it, and I was like mad at God, and um, and then uh. A couple weeks later, I, I wound up under a spigot in my boxers, throwing up my life, literally. Um, and I was running cold water to it on the back of my neck to see if I could stop throwing up, and I didn't stop throwing up for two days. And um, I also said a little prayer there. I said, God, don't let me go out like this. And uh, a couple of days later, I came back to the rooms, and um, and yeah, but this kind of took me back to that day, and it's and it's crazy what I did to myself. and just to not come back to AA and um and yeah and I was literally fearing for my life but yeah things do get better so thanks thanks John your body was rejecting what your mind was obsessed with who can relate to that alcoholic Mike Chase 
I think it's important to point out that at this point, Bill was in complete lack of control to choose to pick up or to stop once he starts. This is a guy who was a captain of industry in Wall Street. This was one of the most successful Wall Street people at the time. He, this is a guy who came from millions who, in order to continue drinking, is sneaking around his house in the middle of the night, digging through his wife's slender purse, pulling out pennies, nickels, and dimes just to keep drinking. His wife is just trying to keep the bills paid to keep them from being homeless. Bill is just in this uncontrollable stopping. Apparently at this time, it doesn't mention in the book, but the family got together and put him in a little quick dry out for a few days, and Bill actually got, got dried out for a while. But what happens if we dry out and don't have a program of recovery afterwards? He eventually picks up again, and we get down to the bottom. The, the night came when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. He literally dragged a mattress downstairs because we reached that point in alcoholism and drug addiction where it stops working. I take it for the, but I take it and I just feel the, I don't have any relief. It's this continually, and you're swirling the drain. And this is a guy who knows he's stealing from his wife. One of the most egomaniacal, successful people on earth knows that he sees where he's at. And he had this moment of clarity of sobriety. And he starts drinking again and Lois panics. And she calls the doctor. The doctor shows up in the afternoon of the midnight can't put him into a lockdown joint, so they give him some sedatives to just knock him out. Hopefully, this will be a quick, just a little drier for him. Doctor gives him some sedatives, gives him a shot, enough to hopefully knock him out for a few days, they say. Doctor pulls away an hour or so later. Because of the phenomenonic craving, Bill comes out of a stupor, should be, shouldn't be waking, wakes up and stumbles around town trying to get drunks and booze. This is where the insane... Who's done Ambien and crystal meth or something like that, you know? You, you know those stumbling, sober... So Bill is drunk, but his brain has woken him up. Get me more. And he's stumbling around. This isn't like justifying drugs, that, talking about drugs in meetings. The purpose of this paragraph is to show how powerful the phenomenon of craving is. Bill was given powerful sedatives, but he still would come to mindless, you know, like a zombie to get one thing, more booze. It is getting messy, isn't it? Thanks. All right, so what did his brother-in-law and mother do for Bill? Page seven. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. The hospital was Towns Hospital. What treatments did they give Bill? Two sentences. Under the so-called Belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Two-part question. What was the best thing that happened to Bill at the hospital, and what did the doctor explain to Bill? Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that, though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Note, has your sponsor explained this to you? And if you don't have a sponsor, then God have mercy on your soul. Uh, <laughs> the next, uh, next paragraph. Anyone have anything on this paragraph, or should we? Okay. Next paragraph. What did it relieve Bill to know? 
It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. Note, does it relieve you to know that you are normal except for the effect alcohol has on you? Next question, did Dr. Silkworth help Bill understand why he had been unable to stay stopped? My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. When Bill believed that he understood the problem, how did he feel? Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. How long did that knowledge help keep him sober? For For three or four months, the goose hung high. He was even able to do what? I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Does knowing what is wrong with us keep us from beginning to drink? Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. You got a comment. If a person knows they have cancer, does that keep the cancer from progressing? Next paragraph. How well did self-knowledge work for Bill? But it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. How was Bill's judgment and physical health in rapid deterioration? Or was Bill's... Judgment and physical health and rapid deterioration. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a sky jump. What did Bill do? After a time, I returned to the hospital. What did Bill believe this trip to be? This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to, it seemed to me. What did Lois learn from Dr. Silkworth? A weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremors, or I would develop wet brain, perhaps within a year. What did Dr. Silkworth tell Lois her two options were? She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. That's a pretty desperate place to be. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the end of the Q&A segment. So does anyone have comments or experience with this material thus far? Grace, recovered alcoholic. Grace. Um, So I just wanted to comment on two of the past three paragraphs. Um, Self-knowledge, that's cute. Um, (laughs) um, I remember thinking that if I could just do enough therapy, maybe I could drink like like a normal person would. That that was my issue. And that um, it's, oh, it's just a coping skill. And um, I... uh, attended meetings and um, was abstinent for some periods of time. I never had sobriety, I would say, but I could recite the 12 steps. I had that written auditory knowledge, but I didn't know it, um, like, in my core. And um, I can have all the self-knowledge in the world, and that won't keep me sober, like a higher power of my understanding. In the previous paragraph... um, They talk about belladonna treatment, my brain cleared, hydrotherapy, and mild exercise help much. Um, It's fun to look back in your big book and see what you've written before. Something I wrote before was there's no reference to God, therefore it's not a solution. Um, And um, Bill, he went to a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. No, No matter how fancy or like, no matter the best treatment that insurance can buy you, um at least in my experience, did not keep me sober. 
I um, was speaking with my dad earlier, and I was like, you know, I'm grateful for all the treatment and therapy that I went to because I can apply it now, but um, nothing really changed until I started working a program of action and coming to know um, God as I understand him. Um, the important thing is that for self-knowledge is that I know that I'm an alcoholic, and I know that that means that um, I must surrender myself to God each and every day, or, um, and that's pretty much all I really need to know. I just give, it, give up to God and... Um, and my understanding of a higher power is that um, that's pretty much all I need to know. And um, I know I don't know that much. Um, the further I get along in the program, the less I know. And I think that's for the best because God does. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing. We got, got a little hope with that share. What's up, Ronnie? I'm Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, understanding myself now, fearing forth in high hope and self-knowledge being um, prevalent in my life, you know, like on the page previous to this, uh, you know, there's, there's flights from city to country and back. And I've literally traveled this country in different treatments and, um, you know, seeing, going to some of the best treatment centers in the country, thinking that I was going to get these answers, you know, that there was going to be like these one-liners that would, you know, solve my alcoholism, and, and, and it never happened, you know, and, and I'd be drunk, you know, at this place or on the flight home, and, um, you know, and, and the thing about this is, is, like, that I know for myself, like, I know exactly who I am and what I am and the things that I need to do, but then I won't do them, you know, and that's sort of what Chris is talking about on page 37, the, that lack of the ability of proportion to, to think straight, you know, because it's like, I'll, I'll be walking the path and then all of a sudden, I'll say, I don't, I don't need to do this tonight. You know, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do this. And I find myself doing less and doing less and doing less. And, and I really, I, I sort of related, like, alcoholism to Stockholm Syndrome, you know. It's like, so we find our way back to the thing that holds us captive. And we start reasoning with ourselves on why it's a good idea to go back to the thing that holds you captive. And it's like, well, man, I, you know, it's like, I have a job. I have things to lose. And it's like, well, fuck it. I don't really like work anyway. You know, I don't, you know, I don't even like, I don't even really like people, you know, like, and then, and then I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to do anything, you know? And, um, you know, so I, I think it's, I think it's important to know, you know, for myself who and what I am, but, you know, I think as it was said earlier, but for me to actually do something about it, which is, you know, coming up in the next pages, you know, if I'm not actively involved in seeking God and trying to help the next guy, I'm, I'm on the way out, you know, and that's been my experience every single time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for Thanks. sharing. You can mic drop it. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and drop that. From... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So does anyone have anything else to share on this before we, we close it up? What do you think, Rob? Should we close up shop? Let's do it. Okay. From a vision for you, page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group members' sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Anybody that is in AA is welcome to present 
people that they're sponsoring with medallion at this meeting. Is anyone sponsoring anyone that they would like to introduce? All right, bring two next week. <laughs> uh, is there anyone celebrating a year or more of continuous sobriety that would like a medallion? Okay. Is there anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Raise your hands. All right. Very cool. We have one in the back. You will be, uh... Don't go anywhere too fast. If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us up for, at the front after the meeting and you fill out the membership card. Uh, could all home group members please raise your hands? And great. We'll see you right after the meeting to help take the room down. Is it a business meeting tonight? No, it was going to be, but we don't have our bank statement, so we did a group conscience, and we're going to wait till we get our statement. Wonderful. Next okay. week. Okay. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you next week. Thursday evening is our Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop starting downstairs in the Fellowship Hall at 7.15, but as Tanisha described, some of us do get here as early as 5.30 to help set up. Awesome. Please, uh, as a courtesy, wait until you are at least 75 feet away from the front door before you light up or start vaping like little dragons. I say rule of thumb, just wait till you're like over Las Olas. Um, keep it far, far away. Actually, if you're helping break down the room, you get VIP access for vapey dragons right there. You can go out on the, uh, the balcony there. Ooh. All right, should we close with the Lord's Prayer? Let's do it. All right, let's have a moment of silence, please. Whose father? Our Thank you. See you guys next week. Body's heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching. I am desperately in need of restoration.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life, 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Broken man, I travel far and wide through the great divide through his own heart. Yeah, well, I have a life today when it's giveaway and it's just about to start. So I face each day. Brand new way, show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs, and people sing along, and stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share, nothing could come. old that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Shot. 